Welcome to the JSGC Policy Podcast, where we talk about policy topics and how they are relevant to the state of Pennsylvania. In the summer of 2022, Joint State released its third annual report on broadband. In this episode, we'll explore some of the developments in this topic since the last time we covered it in 2020. Susan Elder, and I'm here today with Glenn Passwitz, our Executive Director here at Joint State. Hi, Susan. And Brian DeWalt, who's our sound engineer and co-host for the podcast. Hello, everyone. Today, we're joined by our Project Manager for Joint State's Broadband Reports. She is a recurring guest on our podcast. We are glad to have you here with us today, Yvonne. Glad to be back. Before we go any further, Glenn, would you be willing to take a minute and give us a little bit of background about this topic and the resolution? Sure. In this episode, we're going to talk to Yvonne about the latest, which is the third of what will be five reports on broadband in Pennsylvania. And to give folks a quick reminder, these reports are being written at the direction of Senate Resolution 47 of 2019 which was sponsored by Senator Phillips Hill. This particular report builds on the previous reports and provides updates on topics that had been addressed before and discusses where the Commonwealth has made progress in its ongoing work to provide up-to-date broadband access to all Pennsylvania residents. And this, in particular, report is providing some updates on education, healthcare, agriculture, barriers to access, And the report goes a little bit further and makes a few recommendations regarding Pennsylvania's new Broadband Development Authority, permanent funding for the authority, and the E-rate program, which enhances funding for schools and libraries to get access to broadband. Thanks, Glenn. You mentioned the Broadband Development Authority. Yvonne, can you give us some information or details about that? Who's on the board? What is its function? Just some basic level information. Well, the advisory committee had been recommending establishing a dedicated central authority in Pennsylvania to coordinate broadband investment and expansion and development. This is something that has been kicked around for several years with the passage of the Federal Infrastructure and Investments Job Act in 2021, the real incentive to form an authority was created. Under the federal law, there needs to be a central state authority to receive the federal funding for broadband that's available. The authority is principally made up of members of the legislature, state government officials, higher ranking broadband officials. The authority that we had originally recommended would also have had on consumers, providers, lay people, would have been a broader mix with the idea of being able to provide more insight. But the authority as configured now is really designed to make decisions about how to spend that federal money. So in that kind of circumstance, it's, it's appropriate for members of the legislature and members of the executive departments to be making those kinds of decisions. The authority was established for 10 years or until the federal funding ran out. And under the federal funding, states have basically five years 
to get that process started, get those grants occurring. So from the perspective of the federal money, 10 years is probably an adequate amount of time if, and as the advisory committee has recommended, if Pennsylvania were to make that authority a permanent body and made general budgetary appropriations to it, it could live essentially in perpetuity. And as we've seen over the years, as broadband evolves, new technologies, new systems, new definitions of speed, that this may not be do it once and it's good for all eternity kind of proposition. So in 10 years, we may look at our broadband system and say, hey, this was great in 2022. In 2032, maybe we need to do some tweaking and we should get some money out there. So two of the things our advisory committee suggested is make the board more permanent and give it permanent funding so that it can be responsive to needs as they evolve over time. But in this configuration, it is designed to efficiently dole out federal funding for broadband expansion that is coming out of the current administration. For the first two reports, the creation of an entity to oversee broadband delivery was a major priority of this advisory committee. Now that this goal has been accomplished, how does this change the purpose of the board going forward? Well, at this point, there are really probably two roles the advisory committee could serve. One would be to monitor what's happening in other states, look at creative ways of expanding broadband that haven't been addressed in PEA and bring them to the attention of the authority. And they may not have the input from a research staff or anything like that to proactively look to fund projects that may not be typical necessarily of the average broadband project that may be brought to them for funding. The other thing they could do, and that is because of the makeup of the new authority, is to serve in an advisory role or on some of the subcommittees of that authority and bring the perspective of the people who aren't on that authority, like the providers, like consumers, like municipal government people to be able to share those perspectives that aren't necessarily going to be represented on the authority as specifically as they were and are on the advisory committee. So the federal money that's come down, what is that federal funding for? It's for broadband deployment. A lot of it is directed toward infrastructure, creating the means to connect people. So I believe there's about 14 billion nationwide that's being dedicated to support lower income accessibility and affordability. There actually is a federal benefit program that was enacted a year or two ago, where was the emergency broadband where families were eligible for internet at reduced prices. And that was really a COVID response, but the idea was to add more money to that so that lower income people can afford connectivity. 
There's also money included that is earmarked for digital equity, and that is the notion that you can get the same speeds and the same level of service regardless of where you're living. Certainly the nuts and bolts is a big part of the funding, but the funding is also geared toward the idea that every household will have adequate broadband service when this money has been spent. Yvonne, could you tell us a bit more about the requirements the federal government has put on states to receive this broadband funding? The federal government has imposed a number of requirements on states, and part of it is having a central authority. They are also required to develop broadband deployment plan that addresses how they're going to get broadband out to everybody. There are some, in the medical field, they're called any willing provider, but it's kind of the concept that anybody can provide broadband if they meet certain standards of quality and experience. Because one of the issues that's out there that is quasi-resolved in Pennsylvania, and it is an issue in some other states, is the idea of whether or not you can have municipalities running their own broadband networks. And under Pennsylvania law, currently, they're not prohibited. It's not an outright ban, but there is a right of first refusal for commercial broadband providers. So if a group, a community comes forward and says, we want broadband service, to the municipality, the municipality needs to present that opportunity to the local broadband service provider and let them decide whether or not they want that opportunity before the municipality can go out and do that. And that process can take 14, 18 months. And the federal funding says municipalities can receive grant money just like anybody else. So The question mark in Pennsylvania is, is that right of first refusal enough of a barrier for municipalities that it would make Pennsylvania ineligible for grants? That's something we've talked about in the advisory committee. We've not really come to any kind of consensus on it. We have people who are adamantly opposed to local government spending local tax dollars to create a commercial entity, essentially. And then you have other people whose attitudes are, any way we can get it out there, get it out there. And if that means if it's not a profitable opportunity for a commercial provider, then let the municipality set up a program. So that's still being debated. So... Are you able to say whether or not broadband coverage has improved since we started working on these reports? You know, is it better than it was two years ago? Is it improving in Pennsylvania? I would say yes. This is the golden time for broadband expansion and deployment. A lot of new companies have sprung up. There has been a lot of movement towards expanding via wireless internet. And that has really expanded into some of the more rural areas. We looked at speeds 
that were available. And two years ago, we looked at speeds that were available in Pennsylvania, trying to find what communities were unserved megabytes upload and three megabytes download. That was the federal number. Pennsylvania actually has a lower number, but the federal number issued by the FCC has been the de facto number because you can't qualify for federal money of any kind for broadband if you generally don't meet those speeds. There are a couple of programs where the speeds are different, but that's the basic speed. And there are any number of other federal programs that have been out there for multiple years now, especially for rural connectivity, that have used those speeds. So we went and looked at the speeds in the, the federal infrastructure statute, and they defined an underserved area as 100 up, 20 down. So we went to see if you use that definition as underserved, then if you were over that, you would be served. So we went and looked back pretty much on the other end of all those communities and really found that there are a number of communities that are very close to 100% coverage at 100 over 20. And um, in particular, now, Caveat being all of these speeds are provided by the internet providers and the geographic areas covered are provided by the internet providers. So you're assuming and you're trusting that their data is accurate when you're relying on this. But if you look at this, you can see clusters of counties where they're basically served. If you look at Lackawanna and Luzerne and Wayne County, even kind of moving into Northampton and Lehigh, they have high percentages of service. Union and Snyder in North Central PA, close to 100% coverage at those speeds. One of the things that happened since we started this is the cable companies have really been expanding and upping their speeds. So you have the existing companies really putting on a push to get their speeds higher. And even DSL companies, which is generally considered relatively slow, they've upped their speed. So even before last year and all the money coming in, you saw these established companies pumping up their speed just because you were in compliance with the law didn't mean you were meeting the demands of your customers. So you had that going on. And then you had technology evolving in the wireless field. Newer companies could also start up and start filling in some of those holes. So yes, we do have better coverage than we did two years ago. So Yvonne, when we look at these speeds, are we only looking at fixed connections or satellite or just anything that's available? Satellite is problematic. In Pennsylvania, we have two, maybe three satellite providers who offer internet service in every corner of the Commonwealth. Looking at the speed of 100 up, 20 down, there is one satellite company that provides that speed mostly in more urban areas because the higher speed is usually more like the only speed in some of the rural areas. At 120, some of the satellite companies are not meeting that requirement. 
So to the extent that there was satellite service that met that fully served, we included it, but I am going to say that it is a very, very small minority of communities where satellite at that speed is the only service available. The second issue with satellite is latency. You can get speed, but the quality of the transmission can be affected by weather, position of the satellite, those kind of things. It's not the panacea that it's been advertised as being yet. I think that day may come. You're talking about low orbit satellite companies like what SpaceX is doing. You know, if that continues to be a, a plausible investment for those companies, then it probably can meet that need. But in our earlier charts, a lot of communities got considered served when you were looking at 25.3 because you had two satellite companies that could exceed that speed all the time. But when you bump it up to 100, the one satellite company, their fastest speed, I believe, is 50. So they're automatically bumped out of that category. It's a mixed bag, but honestly, I think the newest, the newest expansions and the newest areas being covered are probably a combination of cable expansion and wireless internet growth. Listeners, if you'd like to see a breakdown of speed and which counties are considered underserved in Pennsylvania, please check out page 97 of the report on our website. So to move away from speed, can you talk about some of the barriers to broadband deployment in Pennsylvania? You can start with Pennsylvania. Our geography and our topography are not conducive to a lot of running underground cables everywhere, running poles and cables everywhere, siting small wireless towers that are connecting line of sight from mountaintop to mountaintop. So we have the basic really size and geography of Pennsylvania, and that is always going to be an issue. And the other barriers are, are the barriers just about everywhere. Affordability, access in your community. And, and a third issue that doesn't always get talked as much about is people's desire to have broadband. The adoption rates, there are people who don't feel they need high-speed internet or are satisfied with the level of speed they're getting or satisfied with the level of speed they're getting at the price they're getting. There are communities where you can buy some pretty high-speed internet, but it's not cheap either. And so people make the decision that there's an adequate level, and that may or may not meet the definition of high-speed internet. Can we take a moment and focus on education? Can you give us a little bit of a sense of how broadband access plays into the whole homework gap? Yes. The kids have to have the equipment to receive it. If they don't have computers, if they don't have iPads, if they don't have internet access, their homework is not going to get done. During the COVID shutdown, there were 
a number of news articles that would talk about how parents would take their children nearby anchor institutions and sit in their car so the child could access the Wi-Fi at that institution so they could do their homework. That certainly illustrated it. Part of it is on the end of the schools. Do they have sufficient internet? Do they have adequate infrastructure to support that kind of Zoom meetings with a classroom of 20 kids times 20 and those kind of things. That's where the advisory committee's recommendation about the E-rate program comes in because the E-rate program provides financial incentives to schools to upgrade their internet, install fiber, to have adequate funding, but you have to have state matching funds. Just for a little bit of clarification, E-rate is a federal program, right? Correct. And it's been a long-going program? It's not a new program, right? It increased substantially the money in E-rate? Mm-hmm. With the idea being that um, you know, schools and, and other anchor institutions, but primarily schools in this particular instance, have the ability to reach out to their students at a level of connectivity that doesn't have you uh, throwing your mouse at the screen because it's frozen again. But you do need a state appropriation for your fund in order to get E-rate monies to do the kind of construction to expand a school's broadband network. We've talked about how important broadband expansion is to education, but what about medicine? What might some of the benefits be? Again, I think the big thing is that it increases access. Instead of a patient needing to take that travel time, get transportation, all of those things that the more broadband there is, the more stuff can be done over the internet. And that's something I learned yesterday on the news is that We're now calling it virtual health instead of telehealth or telemedicine. And I think that's in recognition of the fact that it isn't just telephone calls or telephone hookups. It's actually live streaming and video connections. Yvonne, could you explain for our listeners what some of the terms you used in this section of the report mean? For example, what is store and forward and remote patient monitoring? Store and forward, I believe, is where you can provide your information. You can have a virtual visit recorded, and it can then be sent to a consultant, sent for a second opinion, sent to a supervising doctor. You may talk to the nurse practitioner, and then it can be um, shared with the supervising physician. The remote monitoring is the uh, ability to monitor equipment. So I'm thinking like a sleep apnea monitor where you can then transmit the information from it online that the doctor can verify if your settings are right, if you're sleeping appropriately. There are people who are diabetics who do that kind of remote monitoring. You could be on a a heart monitor 
and be able to, to send that information there. It, one of the diagnostic tools for cardiologists is a 24 hour EKG that the person wears while they're sleeping and while they're awake. And that kind of information can be transferred via the internet if the equipment is there. So a lot of stuff you can just upload and then submit it to the doctor. And then you can get feedback from the physician. Hey, you know, these numbers look good. These numbers do not look so good. Let's adjust this medication or let's come in and actually do some in-person tests or whatever needs to be done. But overall, if there's more internet, there's more ability to do that. And in some instances, it means more people are getting more health care that they would not have otherwise for whatever reason. Uh, there are people who are uncomfortable going to a medical facility or don't want to be a bother to ride somewhere. But if they can do an online visit, they may be more willing to contact a healthcare practitioner to get some advice on something that they may not be willing to travel to a facility to get investigated. So it definitely has the potential of improving the overall ability of people to manage their healthcare issues and be more attentive to them without the inconvenience of traveling, you know, 50 miles to the nearest medical center. It's time for us to wrap up our discussion. Thank you so much, Yvonne, for joining us today. You're welcome. Always fun to chat about my projects. And always fun to have you here with us. If you're interested in looking at Joint States Report on Broadband, you'll find that link in the show notes. The music for our podcast is provided by Joseph McDade. Thanks for listening.